Well, you may think that something is missing from our service this morning, the prayer time. Actually, that will come at the end of the message, and it will include your testimonies of gratitude. Our prayer focus this morning is praise to the Lord, gratitude. Typically, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we share God's goodness with others and talk about the different many ways that He has blessed us. So prepare for that. If that's one acceptable reason for not listening to the message, you're sort of preparing, thinking about what you're going to say. Other than that, don't go to sleep. I will wake you up, I promise. Well, Thanksgiving may actually be the very last um, holiday that we celebrate that is untainted by commercialism of some sort. Jack and Suzanne Lucas have a large papier-mâché turkey in their yard, but I don't think that's going to catch on, not even in Harnett County. It's, it's, I don't think that that's going to be, it, it's the one, but, but we find a way, even with Thanksgiving, to sin, do we not? How many of you sinned on Thursday? No, you don't have to answer that. I, I did. I, I ate ridiculously too much. Uh, if, if most of us were, were forced to say, or actually if we were said, if we were told, say the first thing that comes to your mind and you did that, what are you thankful for? What's the first thing that comes to everybody's mind on Thanksgiving? Family, including the church. Well, that's kind of sad, isn't it? That ought not to be the first thing that comes to our mind. We ought to think, especially, especially those of us who, who follow Jesus, we ought to thank God for the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. That ought to be the first thing that flows from our, our hearts and our minds and our, our lips, right, to, to other people. I thank God for, for Jesus. I used to, years ago, I would think when people would stand up and say, I want to thank God for my salvation, I would, I would think, well, you know, you're just kind of saying that like you do in a prayer, God is great, God is good. But then it, it just struck me how arrogant for me to think that, how judgmental of me to think that of other people. And then you hear someone like Albert McKinney, and I miss Albert in these kinds of times. I miss him all the time. I, I, but I especially miss him in these kinds of days where he would stand up and say, I thank the Lord for my salvation. I thank God for my salvation. And nobody had any question. That was as genuine as it could possibly be. From his heart, I thank God for what he's done for me. So I hope we hear several of those today. I thank God for my salvation. Um, When when we think about thanksgiving and we think about gratitude and we think about our, our focus needing to be first toward God before then we thank him for all the beautiful blessings that we have around us, and many of you shared in those this weekend. Our whole family was here. We did the Christmas thing uh, the other night, and right in front of us, these two little girls, you know, had their arms around each other, and just what a blessing that was to all be together. But a, a, a spirit of ingratitude, especially just not thanking God for what He has done for us, uh, bleeds over into other things. I'm always taken, when I read this long list of sins in Romans 1, uh, about how it begins with a a heart that has more of of a horizontal focus than a vertical focus, and it's a heart of ingratitude. Romans 1, 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So many of our problems start with a heart of of ingratitude. Well, this morning, we're going to be covering three chapters of Genesis, chapters 6 through 8. This is the story about the flood. Typically, we'd be thinking about other things this time of year, but we want to get at least through chapter 11 by next week. It's not going to surprise you at this point in our gospel study of Genesis or our study in Genesis of, of gospel origins that we're not going to spend a great deal of time talking about the flood, talking about whether it was regional or worldwide, the, the geological implications of the flood or the, the details about the ark and the animals. Uh, it's not that those things are unimportant. But it's not where our focus lies in this study 
of Genesis. Uh, in fact, though this slot covers three chapters, we're just going to spend most of our time in the first nine verses of chapter 6. We're going to read the end of chapter 8 uh, as, as well. The text that we're going to read this morning is Genesis 6, 1 through 9, and then chapter 8, verses 13 through 22. And so if you will, please stand. Is anyone else hot in here? I am really hot. Uh, is there someone who could maybe adjust for us? I would be so grateful. How many are cold? How many are just right? Okay, the hots have it. Let's. Uh... <clears throat> now don't say I was calling you hot from the pulpit. Okay, just is it warm? When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. And they took as wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. They were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. Let me remind you, these words uh, back in verse um, 9. No, uh, these are the generations of Noah. This connects the first part of Genesis to the latter part of Genesis. These Toledotes, they're called in the Hebrew. They're connecting all of it together. So it's not that we're reading fable in these first 11 chapters then we get to the real history when when Abraham comes along it's all connected by these words these are the generations of um, <clears throat> but that's not going to be our focus on uh, verse 9 a little bit later okay over to chapter 8 then and the remainder of this text in the 601st year in the first month the first day of the month the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. <clears throat> In the second month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with, with them. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Does that sound familiar? Back to Genesis 2. <clears throat> so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean and some of uh, clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. That's the reason that so many of the clean animals were taken in because there had to be a sacrifice. There was this constant sacrifice before Jesus, constant shedding of blood of animals to temporarily cover the sin of man. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said, when he smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we are so grateful for this living story told about ancient days. And yet, they're, just, they're, they're, they're no different from our days. Lord, man is evil. You are gracious. You are good. You make a way for us to be connected with you, a holy and righteous God that we sang about this morning. Us, we who are unholy and ungodly, thank you for Jesus and what you have done for us through him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. God's capacity to clean things up is infinitely greater than our capacity to mess things up. Aren't you glad for that? Some of you were on uh, preparing the food detail the other day. Some of you were on the cleanup detail. Uh, some of you were only on the eating detail on Thursday. Uh, what a mess it was to clean up in our house. That's nothing like the mess, though, that God cleans up. Tully and Tavigian said that. I, I've been blessed following along his thoughts as he has been recently going through the book of Genesis. Actually, they are. They're a little bit ahead of us uh, right now. And while that's not, by far, that's not the most profound thing that he said, uh, I have benefited greatly, as have you, from his uh, comments on, on Genesis. Genesis. This, this pattern of God cleaning up man's mess is already developing in Genesis. We see it over and over again. And, and when man messes things up, God deals with it. Sometimes he deals gently. Sometimes he deals harshly as he did with the flood. But always our God judges righteously. Just think about what has happened to, thus far. God created a perfect world and put man in the middle of this spectacularly beautiful garden as a king over creation. Um, <clears throat> David and Catherine, David being from Australia, Catherine from England, mock uh, these Americans who use these superlatives. I think it's fair to say that this was a spectacularly beautiful garden. So, of course, I've been saying that the whole week. That is the best meal in the history of the world that we've had. It's ever stupendous, wonderful, all week long. And they just roll their eyes and we move to the next tremendous, wonderful thing. But there's no way to describe how incredible this garden was. And, and Adam was made king over creation. He was a king under the real king, the, the ultimate king, God, Elohim. Adam and Eve decided together to challenge the commands of God. Now, we're just not going to, you know, you've only told us one thing, but we don't like that. So this one thing, we're going to find out for ourselves what it means to have knowledge of good and evil. Because, you know, this serpent may have something here when he says that we'll be just like God. And maybe we will be able to be like God and we won't have to depend on him so much. Who knows how he got here anyway? Well, after the disaster that ensued, God acted graciously. And even as he judged the first couple, he promised them a seed, a, 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 an offspring that would defeat the offspring of Satan. There was this constant battle that would be coming along, but God says, ultimately, the woman's seed <clears throat> will prevail over the serpent's seed. So it's no wonder that Satan would seek to destroy the righteous line that was coming from the woman that was going to produce the one person who would ultimately destroy him. Now remember, Satan was a created being. He was not an eternal foil to God. He was not the, the, the evil versus the good principle. Yes, there's evil versus good in the world, but it's not like they're equals and we're just waiting to see who's going to win out. Satan was, though, given significant latitude in the affairs of man. And we come to, the, to a crisis in these first four uh, verses of, uh, of Genesis chapter 6. In fact, from a human perspective, you would look at this and say, Satan's winning. And unless something happens, he's going to win. He's taken over the entire world. So what does it mean that the sons of God married 
the daughters of men and, imp- and produced very impressive offspring. You might know that there are several interpretations to these verses. And no matter how you, 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 you end up saying, this is what I believe about these verses, you come to the conclusion at the end that life was messed up. You see sons of God and you start saying, oh, okay, well, something good's going on here. And the daughters of men, oh, well, I'm not sure why this is, but when you look at it, it in, in, incredible wickedness prevails at this point. And wickedness in unprecedented measure. So two views, though, on the sons of God and the daughters of men <clears throat> are most prominent and most plausible. The first is that the, that the godly sons from Seth's line intermingled and married with the, with the ungodly women from Cain's line, and so it diluted the... The, the lineage and it got all messed up and, and, and went bad. It is true that this principle seems to be in place. It seems to carry itself out over and over. That if you've got a really godly person and a very ungodly person and they are very close together, this one usually brings this one down, not the other way around. You must be careful about your closest friends. Now look, it does not have to be that way. In fact, First Peter, Peter's saying to the women... You should win your unbelieving husbands to Jesus by your manner and by your submissive spirit to him. So it doesn't have to be that way, but it often is that way. But I don't think that's the best interpretation. There's another one, and and this seems to me to be the most plausible, it makes sense to me, that the sons of God were fallen angels that inhabited wicked men in a cooperative uh, enterprise in order for, for, for these demons to gain power. Both would benefit. These were willing men who allowed demons to inhabit them. Angels can't procreate. They're androgynous. There's no male or female. They can't. They're always presented as male in, in, in Scripture, which is interesting when, when they're always presented in our society as female. But these angels could not procreate. They were not like men or women either. And so in order for them to gain power, the kind of power that they were looking for, they inhabited men and sought to gain power in the human realm. Um. We don't have time to look at these verses, but if you want to put these down, you can look at them later. The the judgment, there's a special judgment on angels that seems to be connected with the time of Noah. And and you see this in in, in, in extra-biblical sources as well. Uh, Early interpreters of Scripture in, in the Christian world in the first few centuries after Christ, they interpreted the sons of God this way. Theologians sort of went away from that. Some are back, some are not. And it really doesn't matter. What does matter is that wickedness ruled the earth. Why? Because men desired to be like God. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. Men who willingly participated with demons in this place wanted to be like God. Genesis 11, what happens? People seek to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. The idea being that that tower was a metaphor for their desire to be in charge of their lives. And we do the same thing every day of our lives. We want to be in charge. So in Genesis 6, God sends a flood to wipe out mankind. Except for Noah and his family. They're the only ones that, that, that are not wiped out. Does, does this verse not hurt your heart? And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, he is a righteous God. This is an anthropomorphic expression. It's, he's, he's like a, 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 a man. It gives us a sense of what it did to him. We can understand this language. That it grieved him in his heart that he had made man. The perfect, gracious creator 
had found nothing but unbelief, rebellion, idolatry, and utter sinfulness. And so God judged, and he did so righteously. You ever ask this question, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Now, if you're, ex- if you're, if you're very spiritual, <clears throat> chances are you don't say those words. You may as well say them. Because that's where your heart is. Why, God? In fact, you may as well say, God, what are you, what are you doing? Have you made a mistake here? Have you seen the way that I have lived my life? I have done everything I could to live for you. And everything is against me. I'm this gracious person. I, I give. And, and yet, <clears throat> why is this happening to me? Now, the first biblical response to that would be <clears throat> that we don't deserve anything but condemnation. I mean, God would be totally just to destroy us after he has painfully tortured us for about 20 years. I mean, he would be just to do that. And we say that we believe that, but we really don't. If we believed it, we would never say, why me? But if you are a follower of Jesus... God's dealing with you, dealings with you are always gracious, even when he disciplines you. You'll remember a few weeks ago uh, on Sunday morning, we talked about the purpose of the Sunday morning message. Uh, first, to discern the truth of the text, and that's not always as evident as we would like for it to be because there's language, there, there are cultural issues, there There are language considerations, grammar sometimes. In the Old Testament, it's more cultural than it is um, grammatical, even though we've talked about the significance, and it's going to pop up again here, of, of God, of Moses writing Yahweh into the story, even though nobody knew Yahweh's name in that sit. They didn't know God's God by the name of Yahweh. So discern the truth of the text, but then also to provide a a, a framework for deeper insight into the text being studied, as well as a framework for studying the whole of Scripture. Again, there's no way to go over every detail in Genesis on Sunday morning, but hopefully what we're able to do is to provide this framework, and then, then that's the primary thing, even though this last one is highlighted. Encourage biblically sounded Uh, sound, personal application of and obedience to the Scripture. Actually, our focus is going to be in these last few minutes of of, of sharing from the pulpit, then you're going to get to share, uh, providing a framework to help understand how it all fits together. Now, we've said all along that the focus of Genesis is our study of the gospel origins. You could say that we're trying to find Jesus, and it's not difficult at all. We see Jesus over and over. In fact, the New Testament talks about the spirit of Jesus preaching through Noah, warning men about the impending judgment. Uh, Genesis is a book that is laden with grace. In fact, some people say that Genesis is, reads more like a New Testament book than it does an Old Testament book. A lot more story in Genesis than you find in most places in the Old Testament, especially past Acts. But <coughs> there's so much grace that it really is connected more there than it is with the Old Testament. But there is absolutely no question that the Old Test, that, that Genesis, excuse me, is connected with the Pentateuch, the rest of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all five books. And what do you see prominently displayed in the Pentateuch after Genesis? The law. And yet, Genesis itself is not about the law at all. It's about this gospel cycle of, of, of creation, fall, re- redemption, restoration. Over and over you see that gospel cycle going through there. So since Genesis is connected with the rest of the Pentateuch, with the other books of the law, we have to conclude that God's plan is not for us just to keep the law so that we can get him to think we're okay. It's not like, well, they messed it up in Genesis, now I'm going to give you a guideline. No, they messed it up in Exodus, did they not? 
and Leviticus and Numbers and all the way through the Scripture. And, and to this day, we continually rebel against God's law. If God's grace is not, not extended to us, we have no chance. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now think of the ways Noah is like Adam and then think of the ways that he's like Moses. First of all, Noah and Adam both are left alone as God's representative on earth and told to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth up. Both fathered three children and both had a son that was under a curse. Connections between Noah and Adam. But then also Moses must have thought, wow, when he's writing about Noah and he's thinking about his own life, how much similarity was. They, they were both saved in and, and by an ark. The only time this Hebrew word is used, it, the only two times this Hebrew word is used in the, in the Old Testament is when Noah is in the ark and when Moses is placed in this little basket. It's the same word and this is kind of like an ark where he's saved from, the, from death uh, by Pharaoh's decree uh, for all Israeli Sons, And then <clears throat> there were 40 days of rain and then there were 40 years in the wilderness. And then Noah was given detailed instructions for the ark. Moses was given detailed instructions for, it's not up there, what is it? The tabernacle. I don't know where tabernacle went. I guess when the temple came, well, no, it's, that doesn't do because the temple's not as obsolete now as well. So, there's no doubt that Genesis is connected with the rest of the Pentateuch and grace precedes and covers law. Noah was a recipient of God's grace in a wicked day. So, why was that? Well, in Sunday school, you most likely learned that Noah was a righteous man and he walked with God. Therefore, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Is that, the, is that the order of these verses? Or is it the other way? <clears throat> our salvation is never a consequence of our righteousness. Salvation is never about our merit. And God's favor is never about... Our goodness. God's favor stands alone. Our salvation, and this is what we need to remember as we come up on testimony time. Our salvation is never a testimony about us. It's a testimony about God's goodness. It's about Him. Grace, in fact, always comes, always comes as a contradiction. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what did God do for us? He made us alive. None of us came into this world with a good disposition toward God. We were enemies of God, but in His grace, God saved us. So again, look at the order of these two verses. But Noah found favor, or he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Actually, that word Lord should be capitalized, all capital letters. Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. Once again, Moses writing Yahweh into the story. And one of the reasons that he did so is because... <coughs> He was putting out the fact that, that, that God wrote Noah into his story. It's not that Noah chose to be a part of God's story. Noah, God wrote Noah into his own story. So, in other words, Noah was righteous after God's favor was extended to him. Righteousness does not precede and attract grace. But rather, grace produces righteousness and closeness with God. To think that man must earn God's favor is, is essentially the storyline of every other religion in the world. 
We don't believe that's what the Bible teaches about Christianity. We believe that the Bible teaches that apart from God and apart from His extending grace to us, we have no hope. <coughs> that's why our symbol, the symbol of the Christian life is a cross. It's not a ladder. You know, if we wanted to be really cheesy, we could have had somebody out here climbing a ladder and I could have had this conversation. What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get to God. But essentially, that's what we're doing, isn't it? We're all trying to get to God. Now, if you trusted Jesus Christ several years ago in your life, you got off of that ladder and you knelt at the cross recognizing, I have no hope apart from the sacrifice that was made for me by Jesus. But chances are you got up brushed yourself off and went right back to the ladder, climbing up there. But there's no ladder in salvation and there's no ladder in the Christian life. It is all by grace. It's because of God's grace that we're here this morning. And I wonder how long it's been since you just stopped And not repeating the words out of routine, but you have stopped and thanked God for his gracious dealings with you in Jesus. Probably the time that you have done that is when you've prayed publicly. You know, even if it's in a small group. And it and it focuses your mind where it should be. But 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 for the most part, our our minds are down here. We live down here. This earth is good. Everything God created was good. Of course it's been messed up because of our sin. But there's a lot of goodness and God delights in us enjoying the creation that he has made for us. But if we get caught up in the creation and we forget the creator, we have missed everything that he designed us for in relationship with him. And some people are so busy working trying to earn his favor. They fail to just stop and say thank you for the favor that you have extended to me. What a great thing we miss. In the busyness of our lives. You've been busy I would imagine this weekend. I have. Very, very busy. So. Absolutely, when we, and, and listen, when I said a while ago that probably your, your, your prayer of gratitude to God for what he's done for you in Jesus has been in a public setting, that is not entirely a bad thing. Of course, the challenge is for us to do it privately. But it's one of the reasons that God has designed that we're to grow together. We don't grow in this Christian life on our own. You know, it's not like, when you see your aunt at a, when you were small and you would see your aunt at a, at a Thanksgiving gathering, you know, and she would say, oh my, how you've grown. And you're saying, I haven't grown at all. Well, she hasn't seen you in all those years. But look, the, your family has watched you grow all along. And they have, you have grown to be the person that you are because of the influence of your family. That's the way God designed this body. And so we're going to participate in, in, in building one another and encouraging one another in the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to give our testimonies of praise to God. We're going to start this time, though, by reading Psalm 100. Uh, so Psalm 100, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen. It's on the screen now. If you want to read it there. Let's... let's uh, I tell you what, let's stand and let's just read this together off the screen and let's read this in unison, corporately, and then we'll be seated and, and we'll take some testimonies. David and Sarah are actually auditioning for roles on The Price is Right and they will have our microphones for us in just a few moments. Who's going to give a word of gratitude to the Lord or some testimony of praise? Or it's okay if you say, I'm just in a very tight spot. I need my family to pray for me. Mr. Tate, Tom Tate. Thanks, David. Uh, Just recently, I've had the opportunity to observe both my parents passing in the year. 
eight months apart. And my mother, before she uh, lost the ability to communicate, the words I remember most was her statement, God is in control. That was her uh, last encouragement to me. Mm. My father missed her terribly and determined that he was going to join her. And eight months later, he did. Mm. Just recently, <clears throat> they were both in Virginia, and just recently I had the opportunity to discover more where they lived. They lived in a county uh, whose home was Patrick Henry's last residence, Red Hill. And in looking at his demise in 1799, in attendance with his physician, and of course being a man of his stature and greatness, Every word that he said was recorded, even in his later life. His last comments were to his doctor. And he said, I know my faith, and it is true. And you would be well advised to consider it. And that has made me happy. Amen. Now, not many of you remember that. We've announced it, both of the passing of both of Tom's parents, but I hope you will think about Tom and Marilyn and Josh and Arlene. His, uh, he has shared with us. Just remember to pray for him. Well, boy, that's been a tough, it's been a tough year. So thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. Not everybody at once. Okay, there's dev money, Penny. Yes. Uh, as you know, I'm not a uh, public speaker, but I've recently, the last couple of months, went through some trying times with my dad dying, and I had some surgery. But as Brad said, sometimes you say, why me? But why not me? Mm. And uh, this is just a testimony to God. Uh, he has shown me that uh, my job here is to glorify and to praise him. <laughs> and so this time that I have had, you know, in, in this trying time, I've come to realize that that's what I want to do, is to praise him and to give him all the glory. And I've just asked him daily to show me how to do this. And I thank all of you in this congregation for your prayers and your concerns. You know, many of you didn't know the surgery. But... Uh, it's all our job is to glorify him. That's why we were put here. And I just uh, thank the Lord for a good husband who stood beside me. Where? Yeah, where? <laughs> <coughs> but I just want to praise God and to give him the glory and the honor for all he, he has done. And thank you. Mike was ready to fight that guy. Where is he? <laughs> yeah, Deb has had some very trying times. And, you know, just it just... Across my mind as she's sharing. Doesn't that make life a lot simpler if you just say, okay, God, how am I going to praise you in this difficulty? I'm amused at some of the, you know, younger songwriters that pray, uh, that sing songs like, okay, whatever it takes, God, I'm ready. If this is what's going to glorify you, bring it on. Look, man, don't say that. It comes anyway. Uh, just, just, just make your heart ready to praise him in the difficult times, and Deb has done that very well. How many of you have lost someone that you love deeply this year? That's quite a few. That's quite a few. Fathers, uncles, loved ones, deeply. Sean, are you standing up to pray? Uh, I mean, to say something? (laughs) Um... As a lot of you know, we recently had another child, and with that child has come uh, other family members to visit, 
Uh, and I'm not going to make this long, but I, I really thank God for this church family. Um, when you look at the course of, if you were to look at the course of the last few weeks of Melissa and my life, um, we had a baby in a van that God provided. Yes, like some people, what? We had a baby in a van on the side of the road. It's whatever. Um, yeah. Mighty generous of you to include yourself in that week. Well, <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> hey, I was driving. Hey, I man, was I wouldn't have wanted your <laughs> You had a tough, tough, tough road on there. <laughs> right. Yes, she had a baby in a van <laughs> that I was manning. You were just um, as traumatized, I can assure you. I would have been. Just as. Uh, no. Um, but anyway, uh, the van was a provision of God through this church family. Um, uh, Milo, our son, was super small, um, as many medical people um, kept telling us over and over again. Um, smaller than a lot of preemie babies, um, although he wasn't. But we didn't have clothes that fit, and God provided those clothes through the <laughs> church family. Um, we needed meals because Melissa wasn't able to cook, and I'm not able to cook. Um, and God provided those through the church family. Um, my grandmother came to visit. She fell. She had to be in a wheelchair. She is in a wheelchair. Um, you can pray for her. She's staying with my mom. Uh, it happened at like 8 o'clock, and we needed to build a ramp uh, to my mom's house, and that happened through um, the church family. And uh, I'm so thankful uh, that God chooses to meet our needs most often and most remarkably through um, our church family. Um, and that, that is, um, that, that, that's a praise, that's a prayer in that, um, that we would just continue to be unified and strengthened through our church family. Um, and then also it's encouragement, uh, especially if you are not deeply rooted or connected um, here at Grace. Uh, needs are certainly met. Um, those are physical needs. Uh, I've seen emotional and spiritual needs met through the church family. Um, and so I'm, I'm just terribly thankful for that. Um. Thanks, Sean. A- another good plug for home group. Your home group met a lot of those needs, didn't they? Yes. That's where you get connected. It's, if you're not in a home group, uh, it's almost like coming to dinner for, you know, coming to, 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 to a mealtime, and then that's all you have to do with the family. That's it. You know, you just come for a meal, and then you go and live somewhere else. But you come in every day for a meal. And another one who's gone through trials recently, Russ. Um, I'm Russ Strand, brand new to membership in the church last week, you remember, you may remember. I want to thank God today for putting me in this place where believers really believe in the power of prayer. Uh, I was on the prayer list a few weeks ago for a, a, a serious health challenge. Actually, it turned out not to be so serious. But after 30 years of pursuing this, Um, and having several extremely fearful, fearful episodes, God finally put me together with a doctor who was able to diagnose this this problem, teach me about it, and how to handle it. It's not a cure. It's not a healing. It's understanding that I got. And... uh, as it turns out, it's not such a terrible, fearful problem after all if you know what it is. And, and, and it was a terrible mystery for 30 years. But what I want to communicate is my thankfulness to God for this and for putting me in this family of people who, who know how to pray, but also for those of you who did lift me up in prayer and for those who did not, or, you know, didn't get the word or whatever. I want you to remember... Uh, the words in James that the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And a lot of times 
we're asked to pray for someone or some concern, and we do it corporately, maybe sort of out of an obligation, but not always expecting much out of it. So I stand here for you folks as living proof that God will sometimes answer your prayers just like that. And it doesn't have to always be a long-term, I wonder if God's ever going to answer this prayer. But prayer works. It works wonderfully well. And after 30 years, my mind is now at peace. And I owe that, obviously, to God through you. Now, there are just so many interesting things that Russ said. It's not a cure. It's understanding. And that understanding allows you to be at peace. Sometimes, those verses in Romans 8, where it talks about how... uh, the, the, the spirit. This is this is what it, those verses mean. They're not written exactly like this, but this is a, this is what it means. That when we pray in faith, our hearts are right before God, which means that we understand that the only reason we can enter in, in His presence is through Jesus. But when we pray, the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and trans and translates them, and the Father always is in agreement. The Spirit's mind is always in agreement with the Father's mind, and He grants the request. So that Russ is praying for healing, and the Lord says, I'm going to give you understanding. He's praying for understanding as well. But it would have been nice to just, you know, say, oh, well, what this was your problem, but something happened, and it's no longer, we can do this, and there's no longer any problem. He didn't do that, but he got understanding from the Lord. And sometimes God chooses, and why now? Why now? Uh, Is it because of the prayers of his people? Yes, in this sense, that God uses the prayers of his people to bring about his plans. But God does things in his time. So we always go to the Lord with a trusting heart, saying whatever you decide with this is okay, but because you have given us this privilege of praying. And when he does it, he's showing us exactly what Russ is talking about, that He is real. He exists and that He moves in the people. He makes beautiful the things that we have messed up. So, God is a gracious God. Brandon, neighbor, my neighbor. Uh, I just want to bring up praise to God and for His uh, provision and His blessing and His mercy this week. I know a lot of you probably through the city and through just the... um, different connections here at church know that my wife and I are pregnant with twins. Uh, well, she's pregnant with twins. And uh, she's not with me this morning. Uh, we spent a night in the hospital this past week. She is about 35 and a half weeks pregnant right now. Uh, she's preeclampsic at this point. And so we're, the doctors are watching things really closely. Uh, but uh, all of her testing and everything that was done at uh, Rex on I guess it would have been Wednesday morning, looked okay, so they let her come home. They're going to kind of monitor things. She's scheduled for a C-section this Thursday. Um, but when we found out the news that she was having issues and she was going to spend the night in the hospital, I can't tell you how many uh, texts and emails and phone calls we received that night from uh, folks here in the church through our home group and just, you know, friends and um we don't have a lot of family in this area, so this, this is our church family, and uh, so many people extended, uh, you know, just uh, desire to help out in any way they could, and we, we are so thankful for that. We're thankful that God's put us in this place and has blessed us so so much through, through all of you. Uh, and again, uh, like I said, my wife is at home on bed rest this morning, so again, we thank you for your prayers. We pray that we just ask that you would continue to pray this week uh, that everything would go smoothly with the uh, with the C-section and delivery and um, that we won't uh, totally lose our minds with having four daughters <laughs> all under the age of five. So uh, again, we just are so thankful to God for his for his blessing, allowing Kelly to come home and continuing to do well. And uh, we just uh, thank you for everything that you guys have done and uh, look forward to adding two more to the uh, flock here. You know the difference between continual and continuous. Continual is something that repeats itself at, at intervals. Continuous is uninterrupted. Brandon needs uninterrupted prayer. Five women in the house. <clears throat> and you know the other, th- to finish the analogy about coming to dinner, it's not that we don't care about you, it's just we don't know about you. 
you know, if you're not integrated into the, to the family, if, you, if you're integrated, pe- people are going to show their care in deep, in, in deep ways. Someone else. Allison. It's lovely just sitting here and just hearing people share their hearts. And I think there's a common thread as I hear people just sharing the gratitude of those who have invested in their lives. And, and the word that's just on my heart right now is just a real spirit of gratitude for those who've invested in my life. And um, just kind of been thinking back as people have been sharing. You know, as Tom started out just sharing about his mum and dad. And I just think about the rich heritage that, that I had and... Um, I know so many of us have, um, of the fact that Jesus was shared with us at an early age. And so I'm just so grateful for my mum and dad and for all that they've contributed to my life, but just all the different people who over the years who have contributed. And and I think that's what we're all saying here this morning, that we're just grateful for the body of Christ and for those that are there for us and who minister to us the very life of Jesus. And I just think it's so nice to be able to say thank you and to affirm people while they're living and not have to wait till they die and then say, you know, in a eulogy how much we appreciate people. So I just really want to encourage you all to just say thanks to those around you who have contributed to your life and to say it while you can so that they can hear it and appreciate it. And, of course, you know, Jesus is the one who's invested the most in all of our lives. He's the one who went the furthest distance for all of us in giving his very own life for us. And so I know we're grateful for that. And I'm very grateful for that. But let's express our thanks to each other too as we've had the opportunity to do so today. We had a beautiful time last night. Just I'm going to brag a little bit. It was Brad's birthday yesterday. And one of the traditions that we've had in my family is to affirm the birthday person. And so, and it was my son's birthday just a little while ago too. So we actually had a beautiful time just sharing last night the things that we appreciate in each other. And we always do that on each other's birthdays and it's just a beautiful time. So that was a sweet time for me. It's easier to give that affirmation than receive it. I just uh, have to say I appreciate God and... Really Put it there. Put it right there, Jack. <laughs> Appreciate uh, God providing his word as he has and made it available for us. And the Holy Spirit, though, guide and direct and lead us in and through it so we can uh, and enable us to uh, apply it to our daily living. Uh, I think of God's word a lot of times and I say, boy, this is the, the best GPS system in our journey through life. And it really is. And, uh, and it points to Jesus, of course. But I'm also thankful for uh, uh, Brad and Sean and Dave and others. Not, and I hate to name names because there are so many, but those in our fellowship group uh, that have given uh, a lot of time and effort into studying and teaching God's Word. And our missionaries all over the world that are led to, to do that. And uh, we're to share and spread God's word. And, and I, I, I appreciate that. And in all honesty, I, I'm like you said, uh, we say it more publicly than we do when we're in our uh, daily devotions or prayer time alone. And uh, we probably need to think about that and really be more serious about that within our hearts and prayer that lift the elders up and there's challenges in all areas of life, including the body of Christ. And, uh, and we can work through those. And it's amazing how, as I shared a few weeks back or so, that no matter where we are in his word, it just amazes me how no matter where we are in his word and no matter what situation we're in in our life, he can take that and bring us through it. So I'm thankful for that. Yes, thank you. Uh, Pastors think, a lot of times they think, well, I need to preach on this topic, I need to preach on this topic, and they just jump all around in Scripture. If you stay where you are, you will preach on every topic. It's just, it always is there. It's 
the truth of God that is so rich and so broad is, is in all Scripture. Scott? <clears throat> all right. Yeah, I just want to um, thank God for his very great patience. Um, it's a facet of his character that, that uh, he's teaching me a lot about these last... Uh, well, I forget how long. That's 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 how in, how impressive his patience is. I I've forgotten how long, but he is not, and I'm, I'm thankful, especially that during uh, this time where where I'm, I'm seeing his patience really, you know, come into focus with me. Um, that there's no fear. Uh, you know, I, I'm thankful that, you know, I, that he's put a trust in me that, you know, and, and, and this, this for me, I guess, is the crux of being thankful for my salvation because without that knowledge, you know, these last months, uh, I'd, I'd be a basket case. I mean, I'm close to it anyway, but... I'd be a, a complete basket case worrying about what's coming next because I would not know, uh, you know, even even through all the thick mire and muck, uh, the bedrock still is the proclamation that Christ is Lord. And, and even though I may not sense it um, as, as fully, as completely as... As uh, you know, on the on the you know at the forefront of of all emotion and um, and sensing, God has has placed in me a complete trust that He's in control during this time, and and He's really letting me understand what His patience means, and I, I really am thankful for that during this time. Thank you, Scott, and. Uh, we have to close right now because the children's workers will be screaming in a few minutes. We don't want to hear those sounds, you know, coming from back there. But um, I, I, Scott said something that really brings ties the message all the way up. And I, if one of you guys would give a microphone to Drew, I'm going to ask Drew to uh, pray for us, just gratitude to the Lord and pray for the ones who are needy and remember John Grabowski who is having surgery right now as David shared with us earlier probably through that you've got a word and it went well okay she's got a shunt in 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 her brain or in her head and 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 most likely thinking that's a horrible thing and it may end up being a wonderful thing so let's just just give thanks for that but Scott was saying, Scott said, you know, I've been learning patience and I'm learning it through God's patience with me. Isn't, see, isn't this the whole deal? The, 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 the idea that if I try to accomplish what needs to be accomplished in my strength ain't happening. If God's grace flows through me, it's his patience, not my patience. It's his patience that is manifest in me. And a lot of times we don't focus on God like that until the trials are, are hot, heavy, thick. So whatever God is doing in your life, he's doing it to make you, to conform you to the image of his son Jesus. That is if you know him. If by chance you do not know Jesus, then cry out to him even as Drew prays. We are going to have these testimonies available along with the messages. Stephanie Sizemore, would you stand up and wave your hand? Stephanie is the one who gets these messages up right away. Thank you, Stephanie, for what you do. If you don't want your voice, your, your testimony to be on there, please alert her and she'll take care of it. But I don't see anything that anybody said that shouldn't be. Uh, it, it, you, it, it would be a blessing to all who hear. So Drew is going to pray for us, and then um, 
uh, our ushers will come and we'll take our benevolence offering. Look, this is, once again, God's grace throw it, flowing through us to others. What better expression of thanksgiving than to be able to share with those who are in need. We do this once a month at the end, last Sunday of the month. So we'll be moving into that after Drew's prayer. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So go in peace.